Welcome to the Wealth Time Freedom Podcast, where we decode the psychology of money, uncover the principles of personal finance, and learn how to put them into practice. This is all about escaping the rut race so we can win the game of life. It's personal finance, but with a big old dollop of personal development. If you're looking for answers, looking for motivation, or looking for help, you're in the right place. Our mission for this channel is to help you get as far as you can on your own. And then if you want to go further and faster, we can help with that too. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Passive Income Project. This is Terry here and Ryan, you are back on Australian soil. Welcome home. I am, mate. And it feels like the tan is wiping off at the moment, unfortunately. (laughs) I turned up to your house last week and I was like, where'd you guys go? (laughs) Because you were so dark. (laughs) Brit was so dark. I was like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Greek sun hits on another level. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Super jealous. And next year it's my turn. I'm going to Bali. So get your head around it. I got back on Thursday. I was walking through the aisles at the supermarket on Sunday afternoon and just doing the shop for the week. And I did kind of look around for a moment and go, this is harsh reality check. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. Damn it. <laughs> well, while you're away, mate, I did a little bit of a short episode because we couldn't get that last one off. So I talked a lot about mindset and the servant mentality. And I guess what we were going to talk about in this episode is skill sets. So how do you adopt a servant mentality? What do you actually do? Yes, man. I love that last episode you did. I was in transit. So unfortunately, unless I tuned in from the Singapore airport on a layover, there's no way to join you. But mate, you never seem to amaze me how you bring together some ideas and the timeliness of this topic couldn't be any better. Obviously coming off the back of talking about stagflation and going right back to kind of Jeff Booth's comments around what the world might look like in the next three to six months. Just the best time to be thinking about. It's not always just about tightening the belt. And sometimes you need to be thinking about how do you increase your worth and how much you can earn. And so today, obviously we're going deeper into that, aren't we? Okay. Just want to clarify though, is it that I never seem to amaze you or that I never cease to amaze you? <laughs> is that what I said? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I see I dry lips. It must've just been uh, they're rolled out wrong. Sorry, mate. <laughs> another blooper. Another blooper for the listener. Oh, Love it. Oh shit. No, you never cease to amaze me. Sorry, mate. <laughs> just to toot your horn. <laughs> anyway, what are we covering? So we're going to discuss the difference between earning money and making money. And we talk a lot about increasing your income, but I don't think there's ever a good differentiation between those two things. And I think it's really powerful to consider because some people are really suited to earning more and other people are really good at at making more money. And if we're talking about boosting your income earning capacity, knowing which path to pick, I think that's going to be one of the most important choices that you can make. Yeah, I think we're in a lucky position where we get to tap into the experience of so many people. Like we kind of get this intimate insight into personal finance, their home life and stuff like that, but also into their careers and their businesses, which is we get to kind of learn so many lessons through that and kind of extract from that. This episode allows us to kind of think about who are the guys that we've learned from and who are the guys that are making a lot, who are the guys that are earning a lot, what are they doing and kind of tap into that knowledge base. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's always really valuable to be able to learn from the bright spots. Who are the exemplars and what are they doing differently? And that's what we're going to do is kind of really just package that, put it into a few principles that you can follow if you're on either path. By the way, you don't have to choose one or the other. You could do both, but generally you probably want to focus on one or the other. So that's what we're hoping to do in this episode is say, okay, of those people that are earning a lot of money, what can we share with you about what they're doing and how they're doing it? And of those people that are making great money, how are they doing that as well? The other thing I wanted to add too is that uh, 
We've been teasing this mystery guest coming up, and I, because we didn't do the episode together last time, we couldn't reveal it. So we will be revealing it in this episode today. And I'm actually going to reveal two special guests, and they both marry up to the topics we're going to be covering, and they're going to add on to this episode as well. You did tell me the next episode, the interview you did, is your favorite so far, too? I reckon it is, yeah. like It was such a... We'll talk more about it as we go, but so much practical, very very pragmatic advice that you can use straight away if you're on one of these paths. Okay. So you're not giving anything away there by the sounds. Why are we exploring this topic? I think the biggest thing is that the economy is contracting. Everybody can see it. Everybody can hear it on the news. Everybody feels it. If you can be the person that can avoid the pain that comes with having to potentially downsize, maybe you have to sell a car, maybe you have to sell a house, all those kind of things that happen. If you can avoid that, that is massive. And earning a lot more money and being able to boost your earning power during this time, it's a huge superpower because not only will you not have to downsize, but you can be one of those people that look like, it's almost like you land on your feet and you get to make huge gains at a time where a lot of people are selling out of assets. Maybe you can buy them a lot cheaper. Maybe you can build a really good foundation of wealth at this time. Huge opportunity in that sense, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And that's probably the biggest one at the moment. You, know, you got you got itchy feet trying to buy more assets <laughs> to prices they're at right now. Absolutely. All you want to do is go, geez, I wish I had more for those things. Yeah, totally. So that's the thing, isn't it? Like, how do we take advantage of this and see it as the opportunity is? We talked about having that kind of stoic mindset and changing the frame, the way you look at things. This is how we're looking at it. This is a huge opportunity. You just got to put yourself in the right position to be able to profit from it, really. Yeah. The other thing is that it just helps you build resilience to the future storms because we might be in a storm right now, but there will be more. And to make sure that I guess when the future ones roll around, you kind of see it with eyes wide open and embrace it is the hope because the challenges comes kind of a leveling of the field a little bit and it tends to open doors for people too. So it's good. And right now, a lot of other people, external parties are making decisions that impact our ability to enjoy our lifestyle, right? Because if the banks keep raising their mortgage rates, because the Federal Reserve keeps raising its interest rates or the RBA keeps raising its interest rates, that eats into our discretionary spending. That's happening. The prices of things are going up higher as well. Those are things we don't necessarily control, but you can control your earning power, can absolutely control that. So let's shift the focus. Make sure we're not wasting any money. Make sure that's absolutely covered. And I would say, by the way, before we jump into this, that having a great cash cushion and not having to need money right now is one of the biggest, it's a bit of a superpower because in any deal, whether it's with your employer, whether it's with your customer, the person who needs the money less has the most bargaining power. So if you're looking for a hack, have a great big cash cushion, have a lot of money that you can pull on that you don't need money for months and months and months and months, and you can take advantage of a lot more of these opportunities. So that's a caveat that I'd add to this. Even though we're talking about focusing on earning, this is all based on the fact that hopefully you've got your financial defense sorted on top of that. For sure. On a side note with that is you need to define how much is enough for you to be able to be aggressive. This is something we've been talking about with ourselves over the last little bit. I got the sense that your risk tolerance was shifting the goalpost on how much of a cash reserve we need before you could be aggressive because I might be a risk taker probably than you are. Well, definitely. And it's something where you go, just define how much do you need? And as soon as you get that, then you know that you've got the ability to be more aggressive in those dealings, in those negotiations, in those sales conversations, whatever they might be, because you know, if it doesn't work out, you're okay. And that's what gives you the confidence to go in and, and have 
what, like you said, have the upper hand in that conversation. So it's almost like it's not either or. It's actually be conservative to be aggressive when you need to. All right. So let's talk about these two parts, earning money versus making money. How do you think about earning money? Yeah. So I think about the contrast that you mentioned before. So earning money versus making money. The way I think about earning money is you're trading your time and talent for it. You're trading over time and talent. You're passing that to somebody else to receive income. Whereas I think about making money as investing time and talent. It's you putting time and talent into building something that can create value for somebody else. And so the key thing is like making money is you really investing in building something that can create value for other people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that your time and talent is connected to it. You can still earn without having to trade those for it. So it's really kind of, yeah, where your time is focused in those two things, what it's doing. Yeah. And I kind of look at this and I say, if earning is trading time and talent and making is investing time and talent, earning is more linear, but it's also more certain. So as soon as I trade my time, I get the income. But when I'm talking about making money, it's not certain that when I invest the time that I'll get the income. Actually, it's probable that you'll invest a lot of time before you get any income, but it's also more exponential. And so there's like a bit of a contrast between the two, but I think we should go a bit further into maybe some pros and cons between each of these pathways just to help sort of think through what am I better suited to? What's my pathway? What's the best pathway for me? So let's talk about pros and cons when it comes to earning and making. What are the pros for you, do you think, around earning money? I think you touched on the big one there, which is it's consistent and linear. There's some certainty around it. But I think also, I think if you're in that environment, the pathway to progress is a lot clearer. You can see, and it's often laid out for you where it's kind of hierarchical and you know exactly what you need to do to kind of go to that next step and climb the ladder, if you like. So that's an obvious one. The other one is banks are also a lot kinder to you. (laughs) They enjoy certainty of income because that means certainty of mortgage repayments or debt repayments, whatever that might be. So it's a lot easier to use debt and kind of get things moving a lot quicker from a debt perspective which is valuable in today's day and age for sure. Especially if you're an essential worker. Like if you're a doctor, man, the banks want to throw money at you. You're fine. You can get whatever you want. (laughs) You'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To throw across to you, what are the pros of making money? For the last five years, we've worked with over 600 couples and we've helped them to get in sync, play to each other's strengths and start making the big money moves. And for the first time ever, we are lifting the lid on everything we've learned. We're running a live online webinar, and in this webinar, we're going to share exactly how our new money method works and how you can use it to find your financial fast mode and fund your big goals and dreams. If you're ready to get beyond learning and start winning together as a team, all you need to do to secure your spot is hit that link in the episode description below or go to cashflowco.com.au forward slash new money method. And hey, if you're coming along, don't forget to bring your better half. I reckon the pros of making money is... Your time is your own. We talk about time as the number one asset, the thing you can't get back. Your time is your own. But I know I'm just going to quickly jump into cons here for a second. That's also, that can also be a con and I'll explain that later as well. (laughs) But the first one is you own your time. You own your time. You can do whatever you want. So for example, this morning, I'm going to go watch my kids at swimming lessons. Myself and my wife will go at the same time and we'll watch the kids at the same time. That's huge for me. The other one for me is that your, like I said earlier, your income is uncapped. So you don't get certainty of when you do the work, but you also don't have a cap on how much you can earn. Now, there are sort of 
situations where you're earning money, where your income can be uncapped as well. Potentially if you get bonuses or you get commission, that sort of stuff. But there is, it's generally like other people are determining your income levels more so than you. The other two for me is that making money rewards creativity or rewards ingenuity. And so I like that. I think that's great. It's something that allows you to express yourself in that way, probably with less boundaries. And probably the other side of it is maybe the banks like you better if you're earning money, but if you're making money, the tax man can often take less. And what I mean by that is it's easier for you to manipulate and change the way you earn income to reduce your tax liability at different times. So it's not to say you're always paying less tax, but there are ways for you to change the way you pay tax to make it better for you and kind of have less of that if you're more of a fixed income. Jeez, mate, we might get audited after that comment. It's <laughs> to manipulate. <laughs> well, you can change when you're earning, how you're earning, all those kind of things. And- yeah, it's a flexibility for sure. The flexibility and creativity, some would say. And it's amazing now just talking about that, like how many of those pros can also be cons, <laughs> like you alluded to with time being your own. Just going overseas now, what I realize is another pro of earning money is that when you go away, you get holidays for one. When you go away, you sit it down and you can fully disconnect and say, that's someone else's problem. They'll figure it out without me. With the making side, it's not that it's actually a bad thing. It's that you want to. (laughs) You want to be making money and you want to be kind of applying yourself to it. And I think that's because of the creativity that you mentioned. And so at times we found it a little bit jarring because I'm like, oh, I really want to work on this project, this idea that we've been exploring. And Brit's like, mate, we're going to go look at the Pantheon for Christ's sake. Yeah. And so <laughs> there can be a jarring element to that at the same time, of course. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Let's explore the cons. Uh, so on the earning side, I would say that the big one is for me is time is owned by others. Yes, you get those holidays, but... I know for me in the past when I was earning money, it was jarring to be expected to be at the office at different times and be quite restricted in those ways, have less flexibility in what that looks like, which is tightly linked with income is also determined by others. You know, your efforts, I guess it's not as merit-based if you like in terms of income being rewarded by the value of the problem that you're solving for others. There's a disconnect between those two things and I guess that speaks to also a third thing, which is you got to deal with politics. Often loyalty is rewarded as opposed to the skill and the capability, the merit is the problem. And then the final thing would be on the other side of what you said, you have less flexibility about how you pay tax. And so usually each week, fortnight or month, exactly the right amount gets taken out and it's very hard to claim tax deductions. You've got less things to offset and deduct against your income. And so, yes, you pay a full certain amount. It's taken out before you even get your money. They, they take the money first. You get what's left. Yeah, so there's a lot less <laughs> flexibility, which can be a good thing because otherwise it is, there is a big risk for those making money that they spend the government's money and then get to the time where it's asked for and then go, ah, shit. And we see this quite a bit where accountants haven't made it explicitly clear to them, like what, how much they need based off how much they're earning. So that can be definitely a con on the other side for making as well. That does go two ways though, too, that one, because I would suggest that the longer you've been in business, the more financially fit you will have to be because you have to be on top of tax. You have to be managing cash flows, those kind of things. Whereas if you're earning, it's all kind of taken care for you. And so you never really have to think about it and you don't develop 
I guess, the money muscles that you have to develop in business. And I see that as a bit of a drawback to myself because, yeah, you're sort of institutionalized in a way that's long-term unhealthy. Okay, let's go into the cons of making money. Cons of making money, as I said before, it's a pro and it's a con. Your time is your own. <laughs> so as you said, you're on holidays, you're doing work. I'm up at 10 o'clock last night doing work. <laughs> so it depends how good a boss you are. If you're a good boss, it's probably going to be okay. But sometimes you're a bad boss and you make yourself do stuff that you would never do for anybody else, <laughs> but you're doing it for yourself. So it's a pro and a con in that sense. It's all on you. And I think part of this is because that sort of instinct to want to do more is also because you have to deal with the volatility and the uncertainty that comes with being in business. Your income is not assured. And so you resting on your laurels, it comes with probably a little bit more stress because of that. Now there's, again, there's two sides to this. It builds muscles, it builds a level of resilience, it builds a level of skill that you probably don't get otherwise, but just harder at times to wind down, harder at times to compartmentalize as you kind of explained. And because you are seeing and you're feeling market changes so much more often, and it is not absolutely clear what you need to do to progress or do the next thing. So you're always thinking, what is the next thing? What is the next thing? The extension of that is without going too metaphysical on this either, your energy levels directly impacts your income as well. And not everyone is completely level in when it comes to energy levels. Like I know I come in ebbs and flows. Yeah. Sometimes I'm high. I could run through brick walls. Other times I'm like, fuck what are we doing here? Yeah, like, I'll be fucked. <laughs> but it's not a consistent thing. And you build that consistency over time. But there is a pretty tight correlation between those things, especially early days with making money. If energy's high, it's rewarded. If energy's low. And so there's susceptibility to how you are feeling and how you're kind of acting and how you're deciding. That impacts your income quite a bit early days for sure. You really do have to get good at managing yourself. For me, if I'm not all over my calendar and I'm not making sure that a time is balanced, I will absolutely work myself into a place where I'm useless. Yeah. And you're protected from that when you're earning money is what I find. To a degree, obviously at the overarching, you need to be delivering and, and doing that, doing for others. But the off days and the off weeks, you kind of have that downside protected a little bit as well. Yeah. The last con I reckon with making money is that generally banks are more wary of you. Now, caveat here is that's probably in the short term when you're starting out, they don't want to borrow of you. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, you're not getting any money. But as you go on and you got cash flows, it actually can turn around and banks will be like, what do you want? What do you need? <laughs> so I would just kind of say that there's this sort of early stage where it's going to be a lot harder for you to be able to get access to credit. And we talk about how that's a bit of a superpower as well. So that can work against you. Yeah, we had a couple of exemplars in our minds members of ours that we kind of were thinking about coming into this episode, they kind of sit on both of those. Yeah, I'm both earning above four or $500,000 a year individually. So both making great money. In fact, the one earning is making more than the one making the ones we're thinking about anyway. And so sometimes it is, sometimes we, you start to fall onto one side versus the other in terms of preferring the making side, because it's easy to sell it. At the same time, you can earn more than what people are making, obviously. Um, the key difference between those is, and I look at those two individuals in particular, is the time component, like we've kind of talked about in, in previous episodes. I think the odds are different too, right? Maybe, maybe, this could be a bias of mine, but I'd be interested to see your thoughts on this, but the odds of you out earning a business owner is very low. You've got to be in the right industry at the right time and be in very short supply, very short supply and have a rare kind of skill set. 
Whereas generally you don't need to be as skilled to earn more in business. That's my sense anyway, because I look around and I see all the different types of business owners and beyond a certain point, a business owner will be able to build a level of income that surpasses the average wage earner. The average business owner would surpass that over time. Is that fair, do you think? Good question. I guess the certainty and probability of earning is higher on the earning side, like we discussed. On the making side, yeah, you've got the potential to earn more. But at the same time, I guess the level of failure to earn or to earn more on the making side is obviously far greater. If you filtered out the ones that didn't make any money, you'd definitely make that statement. That would be true. And that's, I guess, guys that have established themselves. If you're starting from scratch and you're coming out of uni, <laughs> it's one, one direction or the other then, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's quite a hard question to answer. Well, I think about like the highest earners that I've known, and, and as we know through the program, but also the guys that I've worked with in the past in sport, right? They're generally very highly skilled in a very narrow area in very short supply. And so in a sense, it's harder to get there and more people want it and there's more work to do it. So let's say you're a doctor, you're an athlete, you're an artist, you're a musician at the very top of the top of the top of the top of the tree. You can out-earn. You can absolutely out-earn. But the odds of that, the odds of you getting to that are much lower than you building a great business that serves a lot of people in your community. You don't have to be anywhere near as elite in that sense. That's kind of my contention. No, for sure. I think the, the pond that you're swimming in is the critical part of that. Like you said, you either get to the top and you're in that small group or you're in the right pond as well. Obviously, technology is a good example of that. We'll probably touch on a little bit. And so let's dive into the earning pathway. Let's think about what you can do, the things that we've observed in the, the people that we're learning from. And also from our past experience, obviously you're probably a lot more suited to talk to this, obviously done a lot of consulting from top-down management right through organizations as well. What have you observed in doing that? Yeah. I mean, if I can link back to the episode before this one, we talked about the servant mentality. What is the servant mentality if you're earning? It is just an obsession with asking this question. How can I make the organization work better and help it sustain itself now and later? If you are continuously going into your work environment, asking and answering that question, finding problems, coming up with solutions that answer that question, you will inevitably be climbing the ladder. It just, it's going to be very hard for you not to, unless you've got the kind of personality that pisses everybody off and nobody wants to bark you. <laughs> You will earn more with time because you're so rare. Most people go into work, they clock in and ask what they can get. If you go in and you are going into work thinking about what you can give, you will stand out like a sore thumb. So that for me is the mentality, but how do we apply it? I think this is actually almost a byproduct of the way things tend to be structured, right? Because you think about most earning roles that you find yourself in, it is a role and it tends to be that it's based off criteria or description and there's kind of a performance review or something that's attached to it. And I think what it does is it makes you zoom in on just what you're doing as well, rather than going quite macro and looking at where does the business fit in in the market? How's it serving the customer? There's kind of this disconnect between the ultimate value creation being at the service and product that's being delivered to the customer versus your role. It's kind of a, a small piece in that bigger puzzle, if you like. And so... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of picture where you tend to zoom in on a specific part of the puzzle and it's harder to zoom back out. That's ultimately what you've got to do, right? To become that servant as well. One for the organization, but also for who they're serving and zooming out and seeing what's happening around it 
and the things that can change. What do you do? How do you, as you said, become a problem solver, treat the company's time and money as if it were your own? Well, I think the first thing is you want to help the company or the organization find efficiencies. So save time and or money. And there's two ways to do that. You've just got to look for sources of waste and you've also got to find sources of variance. So for me, waste is time or money spent that doesn't have to be spent. Variance is where something could be done more reliably and consistently. It's always being reinvented and people are reinventing the wheel all the time. So the classic one for me is like, like where there's no systems or process and there's very variable results and very variable inputs where you could actually just smooth all that out and create structures and systems for people to be able to follow so that it saves them the time to make that result, but also they get a more reliable result. This is such an easy thing to do. I mean, for me, I doubled my income when I was 27 years old because I learned that in my organization, there was really bad communication amongst different skill sets. So I was trying to fix athletes and trying to get them back on the field and trying to work with physios, doctors, coaches, and nobody was speaking the same language. And so I was like, I need to build a shared language structure that helps people understand very quickly what we're all talking about so we can better problem solve together and collaborate. And so I built like a system for rehabilitation that gets someone back onto the field and everybody knew exactly where somebody was at and how they could contribute and you know how we could decide around that. That system got people, word got out about this system and people came across and saw what I was doing and I got offered a job at an international level and basically got told, you don't have to interview. We want your system. <laughs> You're the only guy that knows how to do that. Yes, we've got all these PhDs with lots of qualifications and things, but nobody has solved this problem, but you have. So you can just sidestep that whole process. And I was able to double my income at that age and go past all these people who are more qualified for me because I'd identified all this source of waste and variance where they didn't need to be. And I built a system to fix it. Nice. Nice work, mate. Love that. Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Another thing I think, I guess, in terms of that what to do question is just improve the company's offer. What is the company trying to do for its people, for the customer itself? And how can you, I guess, play the role in retaining and extending those customers, keeping them on, as well as finding and closing new customers? Yeah, and we kind of think about in terms of farming and hunting. Farming being, how can you continue to nurture those people? And oftentimes it is just through streamlining, making things easier and better for them in different ways. And then also the hunting side, which is how can you get the word out to more people about that? Any way that you can basically make what your company does more enticing to others and bring in more people, that is the highest. <laughs> That's the, the first thing on the, the reward list. When I think about the exemplar here that we're kind of thinking about and the guys that are doing this well, the handful that stand out to me, it's not always actually all about the customer. It can also be about employees. So you mentioned before that like, if you're earning a lot of money, you want to be in an industry where talent's in short supply. And so if you're the kind of person that is making your company more attractive because you are creating a better environment, you're able to attract better players to your team and create better products, better services as a result, that can help you hunt better talent. So if you're the kind of person that's the reason why better talent is coming into that organization, you're starting to look very, very valuable. And the person that we're thinking about in this sense is doing that, building teams, building those environments to make sure that the top talent wants to come here. Spot on. As an extension of that, it's being able to earn through the efforts and output of others. 
So not having all your income being tied to what you're delivering, your productivity, it's being able to organize the dynamic of others and create the environment for others to succeed as a direct reflection of being able to do that for them and how that, what that means for the company. And so it's starting to disconnect that you only for productivity and starting to you via others for productivity or value, if you like, whatever buzzword. Well, this is where I think the last one's really important, right? So we talked about help the company fight efficiencies, improve the company's offer to customers and prospective employees. The last one here, I think as part of it links in right in is investing in improving your leadership skills. That's going to help you to improve that company's offer in that way. And there's three parts to leadership skills that I think are really valuable to focus on. The first one's communication. The second one's capability. And the third one is results. So if you're the kind of leader that helps information flow better up to people higher than you that are making decisions and down from leaders to the people at the coalface doing the work, you are very, very valuable. Because if you can speak truth to power and show them what they're not seeing, they can make better decisions. They respect you a lot more for it. And if you can be the kind of person that helps those people on the ground really understand why those decisions are getting made and buy into them and not just comply, but commit, again, you stand out so, so much. So communication is critical. We talk about meta skills, skills that'll take you anywhere, that'll make you more valuable wherever you go. Communication, (laughs) your ability to get what's in your head or understand what's in somebody else's head, translate that, put it into somebody else's. That's just such a powerful skill. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Think about that. How can you be a relay up and down to improve that fidelity of communication? And I'd imagine that's the first thing that breaks as well is that line of communication. That's where things get a bit hairy. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Capability you mentioned as well. Yeah. So capability is about, can you be the kind of person that actually improves others? So you kind of mentioned before, you want to decouple your own input from output and you want to actually get work done through others. The way you do that is you help others build their skills and and talents and actually get work done through them. So if you're the kind of person that someone can come into your team and then in 12 months time, they're actually three times more valuable to the organization because of the time you've put into them and the skills you've developed with them. Again, you start to stand out in a really important way. And this is at an individual level, but also at a team level. So can you do it in in the micro and also in more of an aggregate? Can you get the team and maybe you've got a team of talented people, but are they all pulling in the same direction? Can you make that work? And so those are two different subsets of capability. Maybe you're great at training someone individually, but you struggle with the team side of things. How can you build that skill? How can you invest time to be able to figure that out? That's critical because in these really highly educated, highly sort of skilled areas, you've got a lot of people that are used to being the smartest person in the room and identify a lot with their ability to solve problems. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be great team players. How do you turn talent into team? That's so, so valuable for an organization, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key thing that's kind of standing out to me as we kind of talk through this is you're finding ways to multiply your efforts. Ultimately, you mentioned about the example of creating a system and a shared language. That was you multiplying your efforts, right? Didn't have to be you delivering it. It was something was scalable, if you like. Same thing through teams, through impacting others, through coordinating systems, kind of multiplying your effort again. And then the last thing you mentioned, so you mentioned communication capability and results. What do you mean when you say results? Yeah, so capability is obviously what people are doing, but is it marrying up? Like, is the effort counting for something? 
And are you able to keep people focused on the right things for long enough and engage for long enough so that those results actually happen? And so that's a whole nother skill set in it. So you can have people all together and on the same page, but if you're going in the wrong direction, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> so this is more about saying, okay, cool. You've got a great team, but are we pulling in the right direction? And are we actually achieving what we're here to achieve? There's a difference between being efficient and being effective. Efficient is getting things done right. And effective is doing the right things. And that's a whole nother thing again. So how do you make sure that people are focused on the right things and are being efficient in working towards the right things? All right. So what do we cover there? So earning, let me just kind of summarize what you just said. So key thing was have a server mentality, right? How can I make the organization work better, help it sustain itself now and, and later be a problem solver, really look at it as a puzzle and go, what can I do? How can this piece together a little bit better and do better? And you said, help the company find efficiencies. I think it was the first one, save time and, and money, improve the company's offer I mentioned, which is about farming and hunting. And then you talked about investing in improving your leadership skills, communication, capability, results. I think off the back of that, what's important to touch on is once you've done that, you need to make sure you ask for your share. Yeah. This is where most people will get it wrong. They'll say, I'm doing all those things. I'm not earning any more money. The reason why is because you haven't set it up from the beginning to make sure that any value that you've added, you get a slice of. And so there are ways and means of doing this. And this is where I want to finally reveal this guest. <laughs> this is all about negotiation, right? Your ability to negotiate deals. I feel like if you're thinking about a skill, I just talked about leadership. Another one of these skills that's going to pay off massively over the next five to 10 years is going to be your ability to negotiate. It's important anyway, but I feel like as economies contract, your ability to negotiate gets even more valuable because you're going to be negotiating and renegotiating all the time. It's such a timeless an important skill. So I managed to do was get a former FBI hostage negotiator to come onto the show and talk about how to use the skills of negotiation, the principles and configure those to get a pay rise. And mate, this book, I don't know if you've, have you read this book? Never Split the Difference? I haven't read his book, but I've seen a few of his trainings. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris Voss is the guy's name and Chris Voss basically turned the negotiating world upside down and bucked a lot of convention and said, you guys have got it wrong. You're treating people like they're rational beings and they solve these problems rationally and they don't. You need to recognize that people are really weird, irrational beings and you need to solve for that when you're thinking about negotiating. And his book's so good. It's such a practical way for you to prepare for any negotiation. You and I have used the principles of this several times, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've worked. There's the tactics and there's the things to do and things to say and the kind of the skill behind it, but there's also the frame and it's kind of how you enter a conversation and the way you're seeing things, it has a huge influence. That's probably been the biggest impact that I've noticed from some of the things that he talks about is how you kind of see yourself in those conversations and the role that you're playing, which is huge. Yeah. Massive. And the interview, as I said, I was able to get stuff out of him. I could tell that he hadn't given before because nobody asked him that question or that question in that way before. Cause he was like, oh, I've never really thought about it like that, but this is what I think. So, and there's really practical stuff in there, like exactly what to say, exactly what to say, the right questions, the right statements at the right time. So if this is hitting the mark for you and you're thinking, all right, this is actually really relevant to me right now, look out for that next episode. Cause it will be the next one straight after this, where Chris Voss will be on and we'll be walking through exactly how you can negotiate a pay rise. So if you are doing all these things we just discussed, you need to be asking for your share and that's how you'll do it. The way I think about it is you're harvesting your efforts. 
Like if you've done those things, what you've done is you've built up personal equity within that organization. And it's just about harvesting the fruits of those efforts. And negotiation is the form of harvesting. It's the tool of choice, essentially. You know, I think it's something as an extra note on top of that. If you're kind of looking at it now and going, you're seeing that in front of you and you're like, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to create more value in these ways. I think it's also good to state your intention early and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. If I do these things, then I want this outcome. So you want to make that as black and white as possible and avoid the hope and faith that can come with that, which quickly turns into passive aggression. Chris Voss talks about exactly how to do that to make sure that you're upfront in that conversation. And actually you have it on day one. So even if it's a new hire, you're having that conversation on the first day. Yeah. Yeah. You can see here that Terry's even held this one for me. I haven't even seen the interview in the video. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it now. <laughs> yeah. It's a real mystery to run. It's good. <laughs> I feel like we've covered earning pretty well. Let's dig into making. What have we learned from others? What have we learned from ourselves as well? Our own experiences here around making. How's it different? Is it different? Well, it's different, like we said before. It's the same mentality. It's a servant mentality. It's just a slightly different focus, right? So where before you're trying to serve your organization and the people within that organization that have, I guess, sway over your future, now you're starting to think about, well, how do I serve my customer? Because essentially... Our customer is our boss. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is a really example, right? And his big mental model was your customer's the boss. And so he or she can fire you at any single point in time. And so you need to be making sure that you do what's best for the boss. And he took it to the level that in any meeting where they were discussing strategy, there was an empty chair and the empty chair was for the customer. And that just had everybody know that that's the boss. And I think that was a great way to kind of keep people focused on the servant mentality and knowing who we're here for. So for me, it's like, how can we make our customers' lives easier and help them get what they want? It's super simple. But when it comes to business, I think it's about being really resourceful and creative and doing more for your customers with less. That's the challenge, isn't it? This is the challenge we find ourselves in all the time. How do we do more with less? More with less all the time. Because if we do more with more, we can have a great business, but we'll make no money. <laughs> to go straight into what to do here off the back of that, the first thing that comes to mind is to lower the cost of replication. Obviously, firstly, you got to figure out what problem to solve for that person. How do you provide value and all those things? But we're kind of speaking now to what have we learned from those people? And the big thing is that they've found a way to lower the cost of replication. And what I mean by that is repeated tasks, they can be systematized. Any service can be packaged and productivized. Any knowledge can be packaged. And so it's looking at it and going, how can this be done better? Or how can this be done more with the lowest cost of time and effort and money, ultimately? Obviously, what that does is allows you to give more of it, to sell more of that and impact more people, importantly, have more bosses, if you like. So that's a big one. And obviously, software is the unicorn, the exemplar of this at the core, right? The whole excitement for software is there is zero cost of replication and maybe a data cost there's a cost of storing data and computing power and a few things but it's the lowest cost of replication you can go from one customer to a million customers and have nothing break that's why software is so exciting yeah that's facebook amazon all these things that being able to use software to do that but there's something we can learn from that which is if we think about our business, there's a lot of things that we teach. There's a lot of principles that we share. And instead of us always speaking it to someone, we package it and we, we share it in that way. Podcast is another example of that. 
And so just keep thinking, how can you lower the cost of replication so that you can impact more people? That would be my first one. What about you? Yeah. The other one, I think it's, it's pretty, again, close to home for us, but essentially what we have learned from others as well is just get outside in thinking. You need to think differently all the time and you're so close to the problem. You're so in the weeds with it. That's often, it's harder for you to problem solve when it's so easy for somebody else. That's essentially what we're doing for other people as well, right? And so I think the second thing to do if you've lowered the cost of replication is to get outside in thinking again so that you're working on the right things. So Lockie, who you may have heard from a little while ago, is now a mentor of ours. And what's so obvious to, to Lockie, <laughs> it takes us a few months to go, oh, okay, I get it. And it's just how it is. It's just humans, right? So getting a mentor, the value of thinking differently is, is huge just to make sure that you are solving the right problems. Mm. And I think I mentioned before, zooming in and zooming out when you're earning money, the same is definitely still true for making. It's probably less about the zoom function. Actually. It's probably more around yeah, fixating on what you think is the right answer and not broadening the lens, isn't it? It's more about breadth of the lens. Yeah. Those business owners that are killing it that we're working with, the big common thread is that they've all got different mentors. They've all got different coaches in different areas, aren't they? They're always investing in outside in knowledge going, what's the next thing I need to think of? How do I think about this next thing differently? So I just want to make that point because it's, you know, it's not just us. It's essentially how it has to happen. Otherwise you'll turn around and you'll say, I worked myself into a job and I've been working this job for 30 years and now I want to sell the job to somebody else and nobody wants to buy it. Mm, mm, mm. Nice. A final thing I'd probably touch on here would be just finding ways to give your customer time and money back. How can you go about looking at that empty chair at the end of the table and how can you make their life better? How can you give them more time for the things they care about? How can you put money back in their pocket? And often that is things that you're doing internally so that the, the product or whatever it might be might be cheaper for them, if you like, or it's helping them do better. I think we often talk about testing, experimenting, hypothesizing, but then obviously systematically figuring out what works. We mentioned the OODA loop a few episodes back and explored how you come up with that hypothesis. You kind of observe what's going on. So you orient yourself, you decide, and then you act. And that's a repeated cycle. It's about gathering feedback, gathering intel, and then giving time and money back where you can. Yeah. And if you're interested in that concept of the OODA loop, observing, orienting, deciding, and acting, we cover this in a bit more detail in episode 35, which was in 2021. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, definitely go back to that. I think just the way to do it, isn't it? Cannot think your first idea is going to work. You just got to have a lot of ideas, test them as quick as you can, keep moving forward and just pay attention to what sticks basically. And Descript is a tool that we use you know, for the production of our podcast and the media and all the stuff that we do. That is a fantastic example of this, right? The first <laughs> it makes us sound smart sometimes. It does. It makes us sound a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> if you're in any media production or you want to create media, like go and check this tool out because what it does is it turned production of media, I guess it democratized it. it, took it from people who are highly specialized and went through audiovisual sort of training to if you know how to edit a Word document, now you can now edit media. And it's literally as simple as that. It's like you transcribing video, audio, whatever it is into a written sort of Word document and whatever sentences you don't like, you just simply delete. <laughs> But they keep addressing it. They keep making it even better. So now there's a concept of studio sound where they create an AI rendering of our voices and they model the environment that we're in so that we can actually reduce all the outside noise. That means we don't have to record in studios anymore. You record it all through Europe in big open air rooms 
doesn't really impact the sound quality. That's massive for us. Massive for you as a listener. The next thing it's done, it's been doing this for years and years, but the last one it just came out with is this concept of storyboard, which just makes video editing just so much more intuitive, almost like creating PowerPoint presentations. So I'm just like checking my email every day because I want this new feature. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this to come out because it's going to save us so much time. I mentioned giving your customer time and money back. The time it used to take to edit a podcast versus the time it takes to edit it now, that is dropped by half the time. So whoever's editing a podcast, you get half that time back. Luckily, Marrow's the man. He's also <laughs> helping us sound smart. But that's exactly what that's done, right? It's gone, how can we give people time back? How can we make things easier for them and help them do better work? And, and that's, that's a perfect sample. Yeah, and I kind of mentioned earlier that I was going to reveal another guest as well. So we wanted to have two guests, two good exemplars for each of these sort of areas. And obviously, I mentioned Chris Foss and talking about how to negotiate higher pay. That's going to be the next episode. Following that episode, I'm going to bring a guy on called Charlie Vala. I interviewed Charlie a little while ago and it was off the back of our business series and it kind of just, just kind of missed out. But he's got such a great story of using business as a vehicle for wealth and building your wealth and boosting your income to the point where this guy basically, he's got enough now that his investments can actually look after his business. <laughs> it's gone the other way. So like if his business went to zero, his investments would pay all the overheads for his businesses and he'd still, still be able to live the same lifestyle. Boss move. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I'm really excited to share that episode. I think it's a really good inspirational one. I've learned a lot from Charlie and he's got his own podcast too that I want to share with the listeners. Nice, nice, nice. Let me quickly summarize that just to kind of bring that back to the surface around the, the making money. So as you mentioned, kind of big thing there, maintain the service mentality, service. It's still the same mentality. It's a servant mentality. It's how can I make customers' lives easier, help them get what they want. Yeah. But it's then also how can we do it at the lowest cost of replication? You know, how can you do more with less? And getting outside thinking, help people see the problem, uh, get others to help you see the problem differently and look at it from different angles and then find ways to give your customer time and money back. Use that experiment, the OODA loop to kind of explore and throw all those ideas at the wall, see what sticks, get the feedback loops. And so if I was thinking about the big takeaways from this, right, and they kind of exist for both earning and making. The one you mentioned is a huge one, which is uh, have enough so that you don't need more have that cash cushion, start investing. I know you've got enough of a base behind you so that you don't need more so that feel like you're standing on a bit of a throne <laughs> and obviously pick your path, earn or make or both. It's definitely a combination of both works as well. But the key thing is you're adding value if you're earning or making by making your customers' lives better in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, you're giving them time and money back. And that probably sits at the core of, of both of those, doesn't it? Yeah. Definitely. And one thing I just mentioned there around picking a path, earn or make or, or both, is that it's so underrated if you're earning money to have a side hustle because you will start to learn things from business. You'll start to break down a lot of those ideas. I mentioned in the episode before this that one of the reasons people don't earn more is because they conflate earning with time, earning more with spending more time to earn. But if you have a business, what you actually start to learn is that those things don't have to go together. So I can tell you that and intellectually you can say, that does make sense, Terry. But the first time you make money overnight because you productivize something, you created an ebook or whatever it is, that idea will start to break down. So I feel like maybe there's a whole episode in that because if you're trying to break limiting beliefs, I feel like that's one of the most powerful ways for you to do it. It's not, it's not going to be going through some sort of psychology type course or anything like that. It's going to be you experiencing different things. 
or different outcomes. Your ability to earn without spending and trading time for it is going to teach you that those two things don't have to go together. Definitely. If I think about something that was quite influential to me and many people early days was a four hour work week, the book by Tim Ferriss. And the reason being is because it directly soars and breaks the link between time and income, you trading your time for income. And so the sooner you can prove to yourself and actually see that break, the sooner you go, all right, I can multiply my income without having to do more. Because yes, most definitely. And so many people look at this and go, to earn more, I've got to do more. I've got to put in more hours, which is true because you've got to invest time into building stuff anyway. But it's about breaking the link between the, those two. Yeah. It's not linear. It doesn't happen forever though. You might do more in the beginning and you do less later. Like I think about your trip to Europe, that's a full circle moment, right? That's you living the four hour work week. That's you going, I'm going to work a few hours a day, travel Europe for nine weeks, live no differently. So I wish it was four hours. It was about 12 to 15 (laughs) per week. Yeah. And then a few projects got sat down for a little while and slowed down a little bit, but maybe in the future, there'll be a four hour work week over there. (laughs) Yeah. Not four hours, but the point being, yeah, you're not having to show up for eight hours a day to pull in the same amount of money. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. And so what do you do with this information? There's obviously quite a lot we've learned here from others and, and even ourselves. We kind of touched on a few things there. What do you do with that information? Well, I think there's a bit of direction here. And it's worthwhile pairing it with intention. Give you an example of this. The start of this year, I wrote a document that was basically a vision for this year. And I started it with what if statements. And a bunch of these what if statements is just like, what if this happened? And what if this happened? And what if this happened? And a bunch of that stuff has already come true. And a couple of those things, I just kind of looked back at it. We looked back at it just before this episode. I was like, yeah, what damn, like there's a lot of this has happened. So what if statements was, what if the podcast breaks through to become a regular in the top 50? And what if Ryan's trip to Europe is seamless? And what if the business kept growing whilst he was away? Those are three statements that I made on this document that helped me to sort of direct my efforts. And like, it's good to have this direction, but you're not going to be able to like, okay, sit down tomorrow, solve this problem. This is going to be, it's a wayfinding process. It's a hypothesis. It's a, did that work? Did that not work? And so you've kind of got to let it go how you're going to achieve it. Just know that if you want to achieve it, you will. And I think intention is a big part of that. So I think if you were to think about what do I do after this, I would say, sit down, write a what if document. What if this happened? And what if this happened? What if I was able to do this? And all of those things should reflect you earning or making more money. So what if, for example, I was able to buy this house? What if I could invest another hundred grand into shares this year? What if blah, 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 whatever it needs to be for you, do that. Write those statements down. And if you get it right, it should actually be you reading through it going, man, this would be awesome if this happened. I think that's a great way to go. You want direction and intention together. Yes. Love that. Your heart should be palpitating, shouldn't it? There's got to be some visceral response to it as well. Because we kind of talked about the episode we did, kind of mentioned the stuff we do with Life by Design. A lot of it is your nervous system kind of just keeps pulling you back to wanting to do it. And so that wayfinding, it's not always front of mind. There's a bit of subconscious, but there's also a bit of nervous system kind of gut decisions getting made to help you do that. Nice. Like it. Anything else you want to touch on? No, I think that's it. If you like this episode, please share it with someone that you love. If you think that they could get benefit from it, maybe you guys have been discussing this or send us a review. It's always useful information for us. Even for that person who sent us a two-star review because they hated crypto. Thanks for that. (laughs) But no, to be honest, I don't care. Like anything, any information we get is good. We would love to know what you're thinking about the content. We would love to know what you want to hear more of. So 
Send us a review, write us a post in the community, tell us what you want to hear more of. And otherwise, look out for that next episode with Chris Voss and Charlie Viola coming up. Excited. Nice. All right, guys. Chat to you soon.